Well, I've really enjoyed our time together so far this morning, and I hope that you have too. I hope that you've participated in these songs and in these prayers, and then you'll participate in our, in our teaching service this morning um, actively as you listen. As we get our thoughts started this morning, I saw a movie a couple years ago, and you might have seen this movie too. Um, it's a movie called The Martian, and in this movie, Mark Watney and his team travel to Mars, and while they're on Mars, he ends up getting stuck there 140 million miles away from Earth. He's stuck there all alone. His team doesn't even know that he's alive. He has no way to communicate, hardly any food to eat, and he's dying for someone to talk to. And he's there 81 days by himself until he finally realizes that there's a chance that 31 days journey away that there might be a device there that would allow him to talk to earth. And so he goes on that journey. He spends 31 days hardly eating anything on that trip to finally possibly getting to talk to earth. And when he gets there, he finds this machine and he lays it out and he comes up with this really difficult and this this interesting way to communicate because he couldn't just type on a keyboard. And so it was really complicated. And he spends... It takes 32 minutes for him to send one word back to earth. And then that one word that earth can send back to him, it takes another 32 minutes. So it takes an hour just to get two words in. You can imagine how long that one conversation would take and how long, and and it was really difficult on him uh, to do that. Spent days just trying to communicate. And it's situations like this, times like this, and you might've had something like this in your life, where we realize how much we take communication for granted. And with that being said, we take prayer for granted a lot of times. The creator of the universe, God, he's just a breath away. He's just a thought thought away, but we don't talk to him like we should. I want you to think about your prayer life. How's that going? Are you talking to God? Are you communicating to God? And I hope that as we, as we talk this morning, I hope that you'll be honest with yourself and, and realize that there's not a single person in here who is probably doing the type of communicating to God that we should. As you go through the Old and New Testament, you find out that there's about 650 recorded prayers. I thought that was interesting. And you read these prayers of Samuel and Moses and David and Solomon. And as you read those, you really, you, you see what they're feeling, You see how genuine they are, how sincere they are in their prayers. And we're gonna read a couple of those this morning. I hope that that in your prayer life that you'll be genuine and that you'll be sincere. We're gonna go through the model prayer this morning that's found in Matthew 6, 5 through 13. And I wanna create in you a desire this morning that you'll communicate with God and as you communicate with him, you'll do it sincerely and you'll do it in a genuine way. Luke 11, verse one says, and he was praying in a certain place and when he finished, one of his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples. These disciples, they'd seen John teach his disciples. They'd seen Jesus pray. They had read in the Old Testament and the old law, they had seen these prayers of Samuel, of Moses, of David, of Hannah. And they thought, we wanna pray like that. Lord, teach us to pray like you pray. And so this morning, I want us to to ask the same question. Lord, can you teach us to pray? We're gonna go through this because there is a right way and a wrong way to pray. 
And he starts out with the wrong way. In Matthew 6, verse five, he says, don't do it like this. And when you pray, you should not be like the hypocrites for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you that they have their reward. So he says, don't do it hypocritically. When you pray, you're not doing this to be seen of other people. You're not doing it for your own glorification. You're doing it to talk to God. So when you talk to God, it's not a show. Don't get up here and pray and make it a show. It's, a, it's just a conversation between you and God. God says, I want you to talk to me and only me through your prayers, not to other people. And he goes on in verse seven. He says, and when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathens do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Don't use meaningless repetitions. And you can all probably think of some meaningless repetition that, that you've said or you've heard other people say. And sometimes we get caught up in the semantics of prayer and we think we have to say things a certain way and our prayers lose meaning because they don't mean anything to us. Those phrases don't mean anything to us. Here's a prayer that I pulled off the internet. It's from a movie. Um, this guy goes over to his parents, his girlfriend's parents' house and he's not a religious person and they sit down at the dinner table and the dad asks him to pray. And this is what he says. Oh, dear Lord, thank you. You are such a good God to us, a kind and gentle and accommodating God. And we thank you, oh, sweet, sweet Lord of hosts for the smorgasbord you have aptly lain at our table this day and each day by day. By day, by day, oh, dear Lord, three things we pray to love thee more dearly, to see thee more clearly, to follow thee more nearly day by day, by day, amen. That sounds just like it came out of a King James Bible. We don't talk like that. That's not how we communicate. And I'm sure that he had heard this growing up. He had heard people talking like this. That's a vain repetition. We, don't need, we need to make sure that when we read things like this or when we try and pray, that we're not praying like this. Communicate with God how you normally communicate. And I'm, I'm guilty of this, and I know there's a lot of people in here that are guilty of this as well, but as you communicate with God and you catch yourself saying these old phrases that don't mean anything to you, stop yourself and figure out something different to say that's meaningful to you. So the two things that Jesus has said before he starts into this model prayer, he says, number one, be yourself and private about your prayer. It's only a conversation between you and God and be genuine about your prayer. Don't, don't use these meaningless repetitions. Talk to God how you normally would talk. And with that, he teaches the, the disciples a prayer to model theirs after. Matthew 6, 9 through 13, he says, in this manner, therefore pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And there's a lot that we can learn from this prayer. And I hope, that, I hope this morning that you'll be benefited by going through this prayer and understanding what he's talking about. He starts out at the beginning of that by saying, in this manner. So pray like this. Don't pray this exact prayer. And I know growing up in basketball and football, we recited the Lord's Prayer every single basketball game, every single football game, meaninglessly. And that's exactly what Christ said not to do. Don't pray this just out of habit. Pray it because you mean it. 
And so he says, pray and model your prayer after this prayer. So he starts out by saying, our Father. And this was very different than anything the disciples had ever heard. They had read the Old Testament, the old law, and they knew that God was addressed as Creator or Almighty or Jehovah and possibly even Father, but not in this way, not in this, this father-son relationship way. They, were, they didn't understand that. Romans 8.15 says, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Jesus said that, or Paul writes here, that God in the Old Testament, he adopted you. Back then, they didn't have this idea of sonship. They didn't know this idea of adoption. But Paul writes and said, you were adopted. You're now a son of God, and that's why you can call him father. That's why you can reach out and you can address him as Abba Father. And you think about kids who are pulled from a, a bad situation at home. They're pulled out of these abusive and neglectful homes. And then they're adopted into a family that loves them. And that father who cares for them. And that's, that's the situation that we're in. God has adopted us out of this spirit of bondage. And he's adopted us as his children. And that's why we can call him Abba Father and mean it. We can call him Dad. We are his children. And God desires this relationship with us that's precious, just like a father and son relationship, where we can call out Dad. And that that word Abba translates as Dad. And that's how he wants us to address him, in this same spirit of where we're talking, like we're talking to our earthly dad. He didn't know I was gonna do this this morning. This is a picture of my dad. And back when I was in sixth grade, he was my principal at Ash. And as we walked down the hall, you know what my classmates called him? Dr. Richburg. It would be really weird for me as I walked down the hall to address him as Dr. Richburg. Why? Because that's my dad. I'm his son. And in the same way, God has adopted us. And he, he doesn't want this, this relationship where we're, he's just some type of wish granter. He wants us to have a relationship with him, like a father and a son. And that's why we call out dad. That's why we call out Abba Father. It's a personal relationship with him. And I hope that you'll talk to God in that same way and have that personal connection with him. He goes on and he says, Hallowed be your name. So he says, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And you think about names, and names cause us to have certain feelings. And you think about the name Adolf. No one names their kid Adolf. And the reason is it has a bad connotation. You think about all the destruction, all the, all the hate that Adolf Hitler had in his life. And that name has a certain connotation with us. And as you were naming your kids, you probably ran into the same thing where you liked a name and your spouse didn't. Why? Because in the past, they had had a bad experience with someone of that name. For me, it was Landon. And Landon was a, a kid in my first grade class who one day, when I was in Coleman, Oklahoma, he picked up my pencil in front of me and just snapped it. I have no idea why, but he did that. And ever since then, anytime I hear the name Landon, that's what I think of. 
And Jesus in this thing, he's saying how important it is, how important your name is. And he's, he's looking at God, and he's hallowed be your name. Your name is holy. And hallowed, that's exactly what it means. It means to make holy. I remember growing up, I had no idea what hallowed means because it's not a word that we use. Probably no one in here this morning has used this word hallowed just in your normal conversation. But hallowed means to make holy. It means to sanctify. And God's name needs to be sanctified. And that's what Jesus is praying here. And it's interesting when you read that, he says, hallowed be your name. That means to make holy. Lord, make your name holy. We're not, ha- we're not making his name holy because his name is holy already. His name is holy to begin with. It is objectively 100% holy regardless of what I say. Just to illustrate that, two plus two equals four. That is an objective statement. No matter how good you are at math, no matter how bad you are at math, two plus two is four. It's an objective truth. 100% it is true. And in the same way, God is holy. God is objectively holy. Nothing I can say, nothing I can think is gonna change that. God is holy. And so when we pray, hallowed be your name, we're saying, God, make your name holy to everyone. Because you think about this world and, and how, how people don't hallow his name, how people don't revere him as holy. People don't think of him like that. And our prayer is to make people see the holiness of God. And that's what we're praying for. So I encourage you to do that. So our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. And this, this is an interesting one for me because was the first thing that you prayed this morning for God's kingdom to come? Probably not. Why? We get comfortable in this world. We've got a lot of comforts. We've got nice houses. We've got nice cars. We've got a lot of friends. We get comfortable in this world, but Jesus says, pray for the kingdom. And he's talking about for God's kingdom to come at that time. Now we're praying, God, spread your kingdom, or God, please come back. In this world of evil, when you think about a kingdom, you think about the rulers and the kings and the the dictators that make up that kingdom and that rule over that kingdom, they shape what that kingdom is gonna be like. They They shape how those people are gonna be treated. And in the same way, we're praying that God's kingdom reigns. Your, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We want God's, God's earth to have that, to be shaped by his character and his will. And we live in a messed up world, and, and I don't need to tell you that, you know that. There's a lot of terrible things that, that go on in this world I was reading a story about two or three weeks ago about this lady who grew up in China and she had a six-year-old daughter and up until about five years ago, you could only have one child in China. It was illegal to have more than one child. And if you did, you were gonna be fined a huge amount of money. And this lady, her name was Feng Jin Mei and she had a six-year-old daughter and her and her husband became pregnant with another son. And the government found out about it and they demanded, this was back in 2016, they demanded that she pay this huge amount, of, huge amount of money that she couldn't pay and they knew she couldn't pay it. And one day they came to her house. They put a pillowcase over her head and they took her, they kidnapped her. And they demanded to the husband, you gotta pay, you gotta pay this money. But they were poor and they didn't have any money. 
And so three days after this, after they didn't pay, they injected her with some medicine that caused her to go into premature labor and abort the baby. And this happened 27,000 times a day in China. Jesus says, pray for the kingdom to come. Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's something we need to pray for. Stories like that happen all the time. We live in a messed up world and we need to pray for God's will to be done. And you can think of all kinds of other problems that go on in this world, all the riots, all the racism. Thy kingdom come. Acts 28, 23, so, so when they had appointed him a day, talking about Paul, many came to him at his lodging, to whom he explained and solemnly testified of the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and the prophets from morning till evening. Paul testified of the kingdom of God from morning till evening. So if you went over to Paul's house for breakfast, you know, you, you know what you were gonna talk about? The kingdom of God. If you went over to Paul's house for dinner, you were gonna be talking about the kingdom of God. It was always on his mind, and it needs to always be on our mind. We need to always be trying to spread the gospel and to proclaim the gospel. You know, when, when you see all this evil in the world, this world was never supposed to be perfect. And that's why we pray for God's will to be done. That's why we pray for, the, for God to come back. Because when he does, he's gonna rid this world of all the evil in it. I hope you'll pray for that. Pray for the kingdom to come. Give us this day our daily bread. And th this one was a tough one for me because me personally and probably most of you, you've never truly been hungry. That's something that we can't comprehend. And, and, and I want us to really think about that for a minute, what this phrase means. Give us this day our daily bread. Jordan and I have been watching a TV show called Alone on the History Channel and it's a competition where people go out into the wilderness and they have to sur survive on the land for as many days as they possibly can, and the winner gets a lot of money. And so people go through incredible amounts of starvation uh, just to try and win that. And we've seen people go on two weeks, 14 days, on just maybe 1,000 calories or 500 calories. Maybe your entire meal for two weeks is a little mouse and people start getting emaciated and they get hungry and on about day 40, that's when they start praying because they realize there's nothing that I can do differently. I am not providing for myself and so I need to rely on, on someone who can provide for me. Basically, when we say this, give us this day our daily bread, we're saying, God, I am so dependent on you that I'm, I wouldn't be able to eat if it weren't for you. And that's the mindset that we need to have as we talk to God, as we go through life. Deuteronomy uh, chapter eight, verses 11 through 13. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes which I have commanded you today, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, when your herds and your flocks multiply and your silver and gold are multiplied and all that you have is multiplied. We've definitely all been there. We've all eaten and been full. We've stuffed our bellies and have built beautiful houses. We all have beautiful houses to live in when you compare it to the rest of the world. We all have nice things, beautiful houses. We all have money when you compare it to the rest of the world. Going on there, he says, God fed you in the wilderness with manna which your fathers did not know that he might humble you and that he might test you to do, the, to do you good in the end. 
Then you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. See, God is, God is concerned about the distortion of our perspective, that we're gonna think that we earned it, that we did it. And what's he say here? My power and the might of my hands have gained me this wealth. We're gonna think that when we've gotten these nice houses, when we've gotten all the food that we can eat, when we've gotten all the money that we need, we're gonna think that we did it. And God wants us to sink our brains to his reality, realizing that everything that we have is because of him, that we're relying on him. The Superman movie in 1978, and I remember watching this as a kid with Christopher Reeve and, and Superman, he picks her up and they start flying around New York City and they go on this flight and she is terrified at the beginning of this flight. She won't look down, she's hiding her face, she's got both arms wrapped around him. But after a few minutes of flying, what happens? She starts to feel comfortable and so she starts to let her, her arm out. And after a few more minutes of that, she starts to really get comfortable and she, she lets her other arm out and she, she starts to look down and she thinks this is pretty neat. But pretty soon she gets so comfortable that she lets go of Superman's hand and she falls down. She plummets and he has to go rescue her. She went through a moment of insanity. She, she thought we were flying up there. That wasn't true at all. We weren't flying. Superman was flying and you were along for the ride. She needed to sink her perspective to Superman's perspective. He was the one providing for her. In this life, we need to sink our brains to God's reality. God is providing for us. We're not doing anything on our own. We're along for the ride. We need to make sure we're not losing touch with the reality. Hosea 13, four through six says, yet I am the Lord your God ever since the land of Egypt and you shall know no God but me for there is no savior besides me. I knew you in the wilderness in the land of great drought. When they had pasture, they were filled. When they were filled, their heart was exalted. Therefore, they forgot me. They were filled and their heart was exalted. And because of that, they forgot me. They lost touch with reality. They thought we were doing it. They thought that we were providing for ourselves. And the same thing will happen to you. The same thing's gonna happen to us if we don't make sure that we've got our perspective in the right place. And that's why we need to pray, Lord, give us this day our daily bread. Lord, help us to realize that you're providing for us. And when we pray that, we're saying basically, Lord, give us our basic needs. Don't give me anything more, don't give me anything less. Just give me what I need. Your kingdom come, your will be done. I'm gonna be doing everything I can for the kingdom. I'm gonna be preaching the kingdom. And while I'm doing that, can I have something to eat, Lord? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors as we go into the next one. And this was, this was kind of difficult for me to, to talk on and to, to wrap my mind around. And to do this, I wanna to go to the parable of the unforgiving servant in Matthew 18. And it's a story about this, mas this master who, he looks at his list and he realizes that he has a lot of balances that have been unpaid. And so he starts going down it and he comes to this servant who owes, them, who owes him this incredible, this insurmountable amount of money, more money than, than was in the entire region at the time, times three. So just an imaginable, unimaginable amount of money. And this servant, he, he knows that he's wrong. And this, this master 
says, I'm gonna throw you into prison. I'm gonna throw your family into prison. I'm gonna throw all your servants into prison if you can't pay it. And this servant begs him to be forgiven. And what does he do? The master forgives him, completely forgives him. You don't even have to work to pay it off anymore. You're completely forgiven. But what does that servant do? But that servant went out, found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii or 100 days worth of work. And he laid hands on him and he took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe. And we do the same thing. And I really like the illustration of, of this where he, he took him by the throat. And whenever we hold on to things, when we don't forgive, that's what we're doing. We're bearing down on people. We're taking people by the throat over this small amount, this hundred denarii versus this 10,000 talents there. And when you equate that out, $21 billion is what 10,000 talents equates out to. And you know what the servant owed or what the servant's servant owed him? $8,000 when you, when you do the exchange rate on that. This insurmountable debt versus this little amount, and he, he grabs this guy by the throat over this. We need to pray for a heart that forgives. We need to make sure that, that we identify and that we put our minds in this, the eyes of this unforgivable servant because we owe an insurmountable debt. We owed so much and God forgave us of that. We need to make sure that we're not holding on to these little amounts, these little debts that people have against us, that we're not grabbing people by the throat because of things that they might have done to us. We have to see ourselves as this fool. And do not lead us into temptation. So we just begged for forgiveness from God. We pray that we'll have this forgiving spirit too. And now don't lead us back into temptation. Don't put us back into these same sins that we've been committing. And one of the main things here is that we need to be prepared and that we need to be alert whenever temptation comes. And that's the main point here. Luke 21, 36 says, but stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. He says, stay awake. Why? So that you can have the strength to escape. We need to be wide-eyed. We need to be watchful. We need to be prepared. And that's what prayer does for us. Prayer, pre prayer prepares us for, for trials. Jesus said, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. He said this right before he was taken. He said this in the Garden of Eden, or in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he looks at the disciples and he, what were they doing? They were sleeping. Jesus knew exactly what was gonna happen. He had told them what was gonna happen. And he says, watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. Be awake, prepare your minds. Think about what's about to happen, but what'd they do? They fell asleep. They weren't prepared. They weren't awake. They weren't wide-eyed watching. What about Jesus, though? Jesus went through with it. Why? Jesus was prepared. Jesus was praying. And we can go and read about these prayers that Jesus prayed in the Bible, and that tells me he was prepared. He was ready. He was watchful because he was talking to God. You have to be prepared before the situation arises. You need to be praying. You need to be watchful before you get yourself into these, these temptations and these traps. Ephesians 6 verse 18 says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, 
Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for the saints. We always need to be prepared. We always need to be ready. And that's what prayer helps us accomplish. And I know that, that as I've studied for this sermon as I prepared it. Guess what? I've prayed more because that's what's on my mind. And if you're constantly reading the Bible and constantly praying, that's what's gonna be on your mind. I encourage you to do that. Make time for that. You, you know, as you look through the Bible and you read through the Old Testament, the New Testament, the people who had the best relationship with God are the people who talk to him the most. And if we're not communicating with, with God, we're not gonna have a relationship with him. We need to be constant in our prayer. And as we wrap up, with, wrap up this model prayer, I wanna go right back to the beginning. And I skipped over this part in verse six because I want it to be the, one of the last things we talk about. He says, but you, when you pray, go into your room and when you have shut your door, pray to your father who is in the secret place and your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And I don't know how many of you have seen the movie War Room. It, it, it's a really interesting movie. It really gets you thinking. It really makes you prioritize and make a habit out of prayer. Because sometimes I feel like we just, we just gloss over prayer. We don't really think about it. But if you'll dedicate a time in your life and a place in your life to pray, you're gonna pray. We don't make prayer a priority. Someone who did, though, was Daniel. Look at Daniel 6, verse 10. It says, now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed and he went home, and in his upper room with his windows open towards Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks before his God, as was his custom since early days. You know what Daniel's habit was? It was to pray three times since his custom, his custom was to pray three times since early days. Daniel was watchful. Daniel was prepared. You know what happened 10 verses down after this? Daniel went to the lion's den. Did Daniel freak out? Did Daniel scream? Did he cry out? Daniel was calm. Daniel was collected. Daniel had been praying for this. Daniel was ready. And that's what prayer can help us do. It will help prepare us for, for difficult times like this. One thing I think we can do is we can write down our prayers. And if you go out and you, or if you go through the Old Testament, you can see where people have done this. And that's why we have it recorded. We can read all of David's prayers. Another thing you can do is you can write down answered prayers. I think that's a really good idea because whenever times get tough and we think that God's not listening, we can look at these answered prayers and, and we can see how long that list is and what God has done for us. There's been over, if you read through the Bible, there's over 450 answered prayers. And I think, I need to, I think we need to make sure that we're looking for that, that we're acknowledging the fact that God does answer prayers. 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, rejoice always, pray without ceasing and everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And you think about someone who wrote down prayers, who prayed to God all the time, who prayed without ceasing. I think about David, King David. And David, regardless of what he did in life, regardless of difficult situations that he put himself into, he talked to God, he prayed to God. He talked to God regardless of his emotions, regardless of how difficult it was at the time. Here's just one example, and I want you to, to feel David's sorrow in this. 
Feel David's emotion. I cry out to the Lord with my voice. With my voice in the Lord, I make my supplication. I pour out my complaint before him. I declare him, I declare before him my trouble. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then you knew my path. In the way in which I walk, they have secretly set a snare for me. Look on the right hand and see, for there is no one who acknowledges me. Refuge has failed me. No one cares for my soul. I cried out to you, O Lord. I said, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the, of the living. Attend to my cry, for I, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Bring my soul out of prison, that I may praise your name. The righteous shall surround me, for you shall deal bountiful, bountifully with me. You can see the emotion in his prayer there. You can tell that David was sincere. David was genuine. Have you ever prayed like that? With the emotion, I encourage you to do this. Think about, about David. He prayed when he was victorious. He prayed when he was defeated. He prayed when he was running for his life. And he prayed whenever he was safe at home. David also prayed when he obeyed and when he didn't obey. That was how constant and how often David prayed to God. He was in constant communication praying without ceasing, and we need to do the same thing. Every emotion that we feel, every thought that we have, communicate it to God. Talk to God. So as we wrap up this morning, how do you see God? Do you pray to him? Do you see God as this far-off being, this, this wish granter somewhere up in the sky? Or do you see him as someone that's just right here, someone that you can talk to? Someone that, that you can share communication with and, and cast all your cares on because that's what God is. He's right here. And if you think back to The Martian, think back to that movie, Matt Damon knew that there was no way on earth or no way on Mars that he was going to survive. He knew, that, he knew if I can't communicate with the people back on earth, I'm gonna die here. There's no hope for me. I'm gonna die of starvation I'm gonna die of loneliness. I need to get back there. How do I do it? I communicate. I, I talk to the people there. And in our same lives, we need to make sure that we identify the same thing, that we're not gonna make it. We're not gonna to get to heaven. We're not gonna to, to get there unless we talk to God. And I encourage you to do that. We won't get through life. We won't spiritually survive without him. This morning, make time to be by yourself in your life. Make time to pray to God. Be genuine in your prayer. Be sincere in your prayer. Go read these old examples of prayer that we have in the Bible. You can tell how genuine and how sincere that they were. Refer to God as, as father. Refer to him as dad. See him as that. See how precious that relationship that you have. Pray for God to see the holiness. Pray for people to see the holiness of God. God is objectively holy. We want people, we want this world to see that. Pray for the kingdom to come. We see everything that goes on in this earth, on this, in this world. Pray for the kingdom to come. Pray for God's word to be spread. Pray for the kingdom to be spread and God to ultimately come back and rid this world of evil. Be completely reliant on him. When you pray, give us this day our daily bread, mean it. Understand that there's nothing in this world that you can do without God. You are completely 100% reliant on God. Pray for a forgiving heart and mean it. Forgive other people. Realize you owe this 
massive amount of money, this massive amount of debt, and you can't pay it back. Make sure you're forgiving people and pray to be ready for temptation. Study your Bible. Pray to be alert, to be prepared, to be watchful when temptation comes up. The last verse that we're gonna close with is Galatians 4, verses three and seven. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Abba, Father, therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. We were all slaves. We were all in bondage. We all owed a huge debt that we couldn't pay, and God adopted us. We were all lost, and Christ came to find us. We were all dirty. Christ came to clean us up, and this verse tells me that we were all slaves. We all owed this huge debt and he came to rescue us. He came to abolish this slavery that we were in and he came to save us. This morning I ask you, have you been adopted? Because if you haven't been adopted, if you're not a son of God, then you can't reach out and you can't cry out, Abba, Father. You need to, you need to become a child of God in order to call him that. And this morning I ask you to look into your heart and find out, have you done that? And if you haven't, you need to do that this morning. There's no relationship with no communication. And I want, I want you this morning, please talk to God. God is wanting you to cry out to him. And I ask you to commit your life to talking to him, to being a servant of prayer, talking to him multiple times a day. We're gonna offer an invitation at this time. And if you need to, to make that change in your life, where you can become a, a child of God, that you can call out to him, Abba, Father, and he's gonna listen to you. I urge you to do that this morning. Maybe in your life you haven't been consistent in your prayer, in your prayer life, and I hope that you'll do that this morning. I hope that you'll rededicate your life to prayer, that you'll make the necessary changes. You'll dedicate a spot in your room or while you're driving to work or, or whatever, and that's gonna be where you pray. I hope that you'll be in constant communication with him. We'll offer this invitation right now. Won't you please come as we stand and sing this song?